This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. We've moved so far beyond like whether you should buy Bitcoin or not. Like if you don't have Bitcoin by this point, you're already so far behind. All right, ladies and gents, we are here today to, I mean, we have a lot of conversations in the background um, and you know, some of them are about Bitcoin. Most of them are about Bitcoin. Um, obviously, it's a revolution right now. It's in the media. It's the most relevant topic on the planet, you would say. Uh, so what we thought we would do today is, um, I wouldn't say it's a masterclass, but I say, you know, we're going to break down some of the fundamentals. And we actually come across a, a document um, that was written by someone who's a lot smarter than us, who knows, you know, a lot more about this. So we thought we would actually break down this document and have some conversations around some of these things. Um, which basically is going to give you a, an understanding um, of Bitcoin on a very basic level. We're not going to go into any of the, the, the nuances or anything like that, but we're going to talk about some of the fundamentals um, as to how it can you know, maybe help you build wealth, but also what it can do for the world as well, because um, we think it's quite important. Uh, so I'm sitting here with uh, host of the Investors Podcast, Braden Cook. Hey. who's our local expert uh, on all things investing. We're also sitting here with Andy, um, who is our videogra- videographer. He's our, he's our pr- producer of the podcast. Now, um, the reason we thought we would bring Andy on is because he sparks some really great conversation. He's, he's great to have a conversation with. Definitely smarter than he looks, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Thanks, Bridget. <laughs> None of that on here, guys. Um, have a listen to me. <laughs> no, but um, uh, he also, I mean, I think he represents why we're trying to have this conversation. Um, you know, he, he, he obviously sees Bitcoin, um, you know, in, in the media and, and, and kind of, you know, you're invested now as well. Um, Hard not to when you're around us. But I think that, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, we... we we obviously have conversation around this, you know, from the questions that you ask. So we thought it would be great to have you on to give a bit of a different perspective to maybe what, you know, myself and Braden bring as well. So um, say hello, Andy. Hi. Yeah, look, I'm a bit, t- I'm a little bit nervous about it, if I'm honest, but. You can tell. So you're, you always look at your phone when you're nervous, right? I want to escape this and be It here. was vibrating, so I had to check it. It could have been important. Yeah, so no, it'll be interesting. I get, I hear, I hear you guys always talk about Bitcoin, and I don't know what the fuck. I don't know. I don't, honestly don't know what it is. I've got a little bit in it because of you guys, but yeah, I. Well, this is good. This is why we're having know. the conversation. You know, we think it'll be good for you to bring a perspective and and kind of ask some of these questions around why why it's important. What you know, what why do we have so, the the point of views that we have? I think Bitcoin's one of those things. It's where you read about it, but then you just learn more things you don't know about. So you, you learn... It's such Bit- a confusing topic. Yeah, it's like yeah. Bitcoin and then the blockchain. Well, I don't know what blockchain is. And then it deregulates. Well, how does it deregulate? So like, it just seems like it always to be a deeper hole you get into. You read about it. You have to know a lot about the current financial system yeah. and how it all works in order to truly grasp what this thing is doing. And the macro macroeconomics is really hard to understand. And yeah, I must preface, like there are people out there that are much smarter than us when it comes to this stuff. Like... You know, honestly, I research probably two hours a day on this. Braden probably does double that, if not more. Um, 
you know, but and and has done for a long time. Long time, um, yeah. But I think it's important to have these conversations from our perspective because if you listen, sometimes if you go and listen to these experts that are up here, they're not talking at your level. Yeah. And I think that's what I want to do for this podcast. I want to bring this confusing topic up here and try to bring it down to a level where people who they can actually understand it enough to make a decision, yeah. not be confused and driven into a hole or just to neglect it. Because I think if you neglect this topic or you know even if you make a decision whatever decision you make it's going to have massive consequences yeah in, on your life um, yeah, it really will like it really we've, will. we've we've moved so far beyond like whether you should buy bitcoin or not like if you don't have bitcoin by this point you're already so far behind which is scary because this thing moves so quick yeah like we're already at a point where the price of bitcoin is what it's at forty five thousand USD. I think I think the the scary thing is is we're already at a point where government and you know like a year ago people like yeah government. We'll we'll probably government. never see thirty five thousand USD ever again. No, you think it'll just keep going up? Yeah. Was it a year ago or eighteen months ago? I remember it had had a big move in the mainstream media. They weren't really talking about anything deep about it but it was just i just remember it i think it must have hit 20 or 30 grand a year oh so yeah back in the end of 2017 it hit the 20,000 yeah mark. and I, I never and then it it had it's the bitcoin winter so the crypto winter mm. which was what they call it yeah and then it's just been moving silently ever since especially after the the march 2020 crash yeah since then it, it hit 3,000 usd and then it just has gone on this tear yeah and yet we're at the point where we won't see 35,000 again, probably, in our lifetimes. I think, you know, and I, I also look at it from a, you know, a network effects lens as well, right? So, so That's you know, what it's all about. We're all at a, we're at a stage now where government are actually considering it. They're actually putting their, 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 their you know, a year ago, you're sitting around a table. Um, you know, I remember, again, I remember sitting around a table with family and the older generation and, and they're like, yeah, like, you know, just blowing it off in a it's sense. It's a scam. Right? Yeah, it's, you know, whatever. And and now it's like, well, you know, the government are now considering it. The, the same people that were saying it's it's not going to happen are now invested I, in it. I can pretty much guarantee in the next four years, every single government around the world will distribute their own digital coin. Do you think mainstream medias are told not to go into detail about it? I mean, probably because... Um, well, their job is to to write about things that are going to get views and clicks and that sort of thing, and it's it benefits them to be controversial. Yeah. And so for them to distribute all of the the energy fud and China ban and all that sort of thing, it it sells for them. So that's that's their only narrative. It's whatever sells for them. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. Potentially. Government government want to slow this down because they're so far behind. Which is why they're only now just done to d- determine whether uh, Bitcoin is a security or whether it's a commodity. Like we're so far beyond that. They're only starting to look at uh, whether Bitcoin should be legal or not. You're not going to be able to um, to legalize it or to rule it out completely. This thing's here to stay forever. It's like the internet. You're never going to ever close that down. Will they be able to regulate the the wallets? So your Coinbase. So that's something that they they can they can regulate the exchanges, yes, but then you can just move off the exchange. Yeah. But because it it comes down to taxation for the governments, so they want to be able to obviously get a piece of the pie. They can get your capital gains, though, can't they? Because it comes back into your account. So if I sold and made twenty grand in that regard, they'll see it come back in, and then they get you on the gains. Yeah. 
Well, it's like any other asset. But if you were, to, let's say you used Bit, exclusively Bitcoin, and it, let's say hypothetically you had a wallet, we had the money in it, and I was buying a car with it, I was buying a house, or I was mm -hmm. buying a TV, which makes more sense. Because it's staying in the Bitcoin sort of, I don't know, marketplace, they can't, you're not paying tax on it. Are you theoretically well, not paying tax? Or they look at your purchases and say, anytime, well, anytime there's a transaction, it's technically you are selling out of Bitcoin. So that is a taxable event. But it's interesting now because you have countries coming in saying that it's legal tender. And the way that uh, the US dollar operates, they have to... Um, treat any form of legal tender as it's equal yeah. in, in a sense, which means that if Bitcoin becomes legal tender around the world, technically then you can't tax it. Does that mean, could, it, could that f help solve countries like Zimbabwe that have completely fucked their... Absolutely. So now they're like, oh, well, we've completely ruined, inf de inflated our currency. We've now got a new one that's regulated that we can then start... Trading that, that's the only way to actually fix hyperinflation. You have to create a new currency mm. and and a new system. To well, the only way to yeah, the only way to um, to counteract inflation is to have something that's deflationary, and that is from a new technology like Bitcoin. Yeah. So so think about it like a you know we're talking about Zimbabwe or and, and any country that's currently experiencing El Salvador, hyper, hyperinflation, right? Yeah. Anything from that nature, like. The only way for them to fix it is to adopt a new system. It's literally, or go, you know, but what Braden said before, you know, use technology, but they're just not going to be able to do that. Hmm. Yeah, like they just don't, like it's like, you know, that, does, that stuff doesn't appear out of, any, out of nowhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so they have to adopt a new system. Um, and, you know, if you don't have the resources, you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have uh, the, the skilled the, labour, the that's not going to happen. But, you know, this is why, why Bitcoin is, a, I guess, is a shining light for so many countries. Um, it, it does create equal opportunity. It, it does, uh, you know, um, create more of a level playing field in a sense or allows, you know, countries like Zimbabwe, El Salvador, these kind of countries who previously they're playing on a playing field where the US dollar you know is really controlling everything so how do they catch up yeah they yeah. can't they can't because they're playing it's like they've always you know i think about it like sport you know imagine you never had a home game yeah you know, you're always playing on someone else's field right it, it's tough yeah um and and you know the, it's it's not an equal playing field so for me that's the way i think about it in this term it's like well no now now they get a home game now they start to get home games yeah right? well, and, and, that, yeah, that, and that's where the, that's where the thing because it's not about the thing is, why do I? Why, why does it matter if I play a home game? You know, if I'm a sports team, why? Why is it important for me to play on my field? Mm -hmm. Confidence, psychology, right? You know, like we talk about AFL. Why? Why do people hate going to play in Perth? Right? Why does West Coast love playing in Perth? Why is their home game? Why is their home game record so great? And it's because psychology. It's because of confidence. Right, that is what breeds success. Yeah. yeah, we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you you know that is a that is a hierarchy of needs of as you achieve one, you get the opportunity to achieve the next. So you can only self-actualize once you have safety, once you feel like you belong, once you do all these things. And really, that's that's what these countries are missing, right? And Bitcoin gives them the opportunity to step up that ladder. Well, it's interesting you mentioned hierarchy of needs. I feel like the hierarchy of needs has shifted. Uh, now that we're in this digital age, um, you basically have three things that people want. It's education, 
it's finance and it's healthcare. Those are the three new things that are fundamental to, to what help people feel secure. And Bitcoin is the thing that helps them feel secure uh, within the financial sphere. Indeed. And there are three areas that are um, growing rapidly as well. Would this affect outsourcing? If we had a regulated universal currency and you're outsourcing some products to sort of India or China because you're getting a cheaper rate compared to what we make or what our currency is worth, if you had a regulated, deregulated universal um, currency, that, would that remove that? Uh, in a way it will. Um, the way that factors into... Um, like salary and all that sort of thing is also your standard of living yeah, sure. as well. And the, um, the amount of skilled labor within your, your workforce, unemployment, participation rates and all those sort of things. Yeah. So in a way it will, yes. Um, but in a way it also won't as well. It all comes down to how much uh, you have happening within your economy. But it's also, so they're all interconnected as well, right? So, so you, know, um, co- co- you know, countries might outsource certain goods or certain you know services or whatever it is right um and and it's 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 almost like so how do i explain this i don't don't know if i have the language for it but it's they're all interconnected in a sense so we might outsource 70 percent of one thing but that the the opposing country country relies on that so that if you take both of those things away both of their economies collapse that's why china and america you know these countries are probably going head to head at the moment but they also rely on each other so much Right, so um, you you look at everything that's happening with Australia and China at the moment. How they're wanting to put ban on how much coal and iron ore that we export into their country, but realistically, the amount of uh, demand has only dropped about five percent or something because they're so reliant on our iron ore because it's the best in the world. Mm. You know, so that's not going to go away because we are, as you said, we're so interconnected at the moment with globalization, and that's not going to change. And now that we have a, a financial system like Bitcoin that is so universal across the world, you get your money basically instantly. It's very, very cheap as well. Uh, it goes around um, regulated um, banking system and all that sort of thing. It just broadens out and evens the playing field around the world. Yeah, and it's that evening on the playing field that's so important. You know, like this kind of the, what we're talking about before with El Salvador and these kind of countries, um, it, you know, that evening of the playing field is what will allow probably even better trade. You know, like, like it's, it's, it, it actually makes the world, a, a, you know, uh, from, a, from that standpoint, um, a lot more effective and efficient. Do you see a future where countries will exclusively use Bitcoin as a currency? Uh, it's, it's hard. I don't know. I think so, yes, actually, with the Lightning Network. Uh, and companies like Strike that allows uh, payment with Bitcoin, I think, yes, it will eventually over time. It's going to take a while because obviously the US dollar is um, the reserve currency around the world and that has the greatest network effect of all time. But because it is so heavily influenced by America and the, the Fed, yeah. um, I think people are starting to have less and less um, trust in that system. Do you want me to just keep asking, going for it with questions? I've got so many. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might, we might bring it back to thing and then we can keep going. So we're not just kind of going through anything. Yeah, it's just stuff I want answered. <laughs> hey, so, so we've got a document here which was written by Preston Pish, who's someone that we follow pretty closely, Braden. Um, 
So I'm just going to read. He, this is basically he said uh, a document he wrote for anyone who has questions about Bitcoin, and then we can kind of maybe because even some of this is is quite, you know, some of the language and and these kind of things. So you're obviously got good financial um, literacy and, and great great la and understand the language around it. So we can kind of lean on you a little bit here. Um, so what does it what does Bitcoin intend to solve? Bitcoin was created to put a global digital peg on fiat currency. Since 1971, money around the world has not had a peg. So what does that mean? Just for everyone listening at home. So uh, the currencies used to be pegged towards, the, uh, towards gold uh, and that sort of kept it um, fairly neutral because it was pegged to something that was scarce. Uh, and as soon as they so went away from the Bretton Woods system, it allowed governments to print money in order to drive their economies uh, because the way to do that is through debt. Uh, and the more money circulating within the economy, obviously, the, the more it can grow because they spend on infrastructure, they spend on uh, education, on hospitals, all these sort of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so gold is, there's obviously um, a fixed amount of it, or not a fixed amount of it, but, you know, you, you know it it's obviously exists in the earth. It and still is inflationary it. in a way, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it was pegged to that so that it, it kind of sits against something and, and therefore has um, something that it can be valued against. Yeah. And they, America in 1971 decided to move away from that, which allows them to print money. Um, the issue with the way that um, it was pegged to gold is because uh, it stopped um, the growth of innovation and... Uh, expanding of economies and that sort of thing and because the United States had just come out of su being successful within the wars and that sort of thing they wanted to take full advantage of that power that they had created for themselves and so the only way to do that is to continue to drive that growth and you do that by printing more and more money yeah so I'm actually going to pull up a, uh, a um, going to pull up a image um, which is kind of can show us um, the Fed's balance sheet, which so the Fed of those, are the you know that's where the, the money get the extra money that gets printed gets created, and we're gonna it, it's actually a, a, a image that we're gonna put up in our on the screen so that you can see it that shows um, the balance sheet of the Fed um, divided by the S and P 500 versus the actual growth of the S and P 500, and it's a chart, which I think this is probably a good time to actually look at that and, and kind of get an understanding of what that actually means so i'm going to pull that up and what i might get you to do is to just dissect that Braden. Mm -hmm. all right so as you can see on the chart you can see the red line is the growth of the s p 500 which is essentially the, the top 500 companies uh within the us put into an etf yes oh yeah confuse me um and so as you can see from i think that starts around 2008 so from 2008 it has grown uh 200 percent uh since that point and you can argue that it's grown because of inflation and assets uh inflate because of that but then when you look at it in terms of the the growth in the the federal balance sheet which is the fed printing money you can actually see that uh it has a negative return because the Fed has printed that much money. And so the the greatest, they, they coin it the greatest um, like, like theft of all time uh, because you start to look at things like property, 
uh, healthcare, education, all of these things have inflated to the point where they be- it's become unsustainable and people can't, like they can't wrap their heads around how expensive it is to purchase your own home and that sort of thing. And that's been a result of the, the Fed printing money because when you look at it, they've been printing money at a rate of about 12% a year. And then you, tad, uh, you add on the, the 2% uh, percent inflation target on top of that. So that rounds it out to 14%. And 14% annualized return over that period has caused um, our dollar to have far less value mm-hmm. uh, yeah, since they've started to do that. And they've, they've been doing this for 40 years, ever since they, they went off the Bretton Woods. Um, and during the 70s, when they did that, there was massive hyperinflation as well. Um, and so now that we've got technology and all these um, innovations like Bitcoin and, and that sort of thing, we've now started to see a lot of goods depreciate in value um, because of Metcalfe's law and because of Wright's law as well, which basically determines, it, it, it says that um, the more that we innovate and we spend on growth and innovation, the more it brings down the cost of goods and services. And so that's why you've seen things like electronics become, like TVs become cheaper. Um, we've seen cars become cheaper and all these sorts of things. Yeah, 100%. So if you're looking at this graph, right, basically, you know, I'll, I'll kind of even dumb it down that next step is that if you're looking purely at the red line, you would say that, yes, the S&P 500 has had great growth, but what caused, and if you look at the balance sheet, what we're talking about is like, Uh, profit versus debt or surplus versus debt so if you actually divide uh, the S&P 500 by the Fed's balance sheet growth so you know how much is you know the Fed um, how how much has their balance sheet grown and and the reality is it hasn't it's actually gone backwards we keep going into more and more debt I think for every uh, I think we're at what 80 trillion or or something like that in terms of um, the economy and and the, the the uh, goods and services of the economy, um, but it's cost us four times that amount to actually create that. So yeah. if you're thinking about it from this perspective, it's going, well, I'm going to divide how much it's cost us from a Fed point of view to actually achieve that growth. And what you can see is the blue line um, really, you know, if you look at to the point where we have that big drop towards the end um, at the start of 2020, which was the pandemic, we're actually even. We're actually, there's been no economic growth. So basically what this is saying is that the growth of the S&P 500 is actually artificial. It's been propped up by the money printing that has happened, which is what we call inflation. Okay, so I thought that was a good time to bring that up and, and kind of talk about that. So, you know, we'll, um, and, and it kind of does explain what we're talking about. And, and again, that, that document that we were just going through. Um, all right, I'm going to continue reading. So this can work over a longer period of time. Have governments around the world will debase their fiat money in order to create growth through financial engineering. It's the classic tragedy of the commons only between nations with their fiat money. To date, this has occurred via bond markets, which now have no yield on a real basis. I'm sure you've noticed that existing fish, uh, fiscal, fiscal, how do you say that? Uh, fiscal. 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 fiscal and monetary policies are polarizing social classes globally. This is the result of uh, overusing inflationary monetary policies with no monetary peg. Do yourself a favor and Google 
The Cantillon effect. The Cantillon effect. Since Bitcoin has a fixed supply of coins and it runs on a decentralized protocol, similar to the internet protocol or transmission control protocol, it has been forcing fiat currencies to conform to its rules for 10 years now. So do you want to break down braids, just the, I guess the second half of that? Okay, so basically what they're saying is that through the use of uh, fiscal and monetary policy, so monetary policy is uh, the, the use of changing interest rates. Fiscal policy has, uh, it's something that you don't quite see, but it's the government repurchasing bonds and basically putting more money out into the system. And so in doing that, that um, obviously, as he says, it uh, spurs growth because you put more money out into the economy, which allows um, mostly companies because it, that money tends to go to the top and then trickles down, which is why you see the equity markets and that sort of thing exploding in price and why you see the richest people in the world becoming even richer and then the, the minnows like your everyday retail people yeah. are receiving their thousand dollar payments or whatever and, and and a lot of this would have happened during covid right so yeah. so you know um, and I'm, also the global financial crisis as well yeah uh, it's only just been stepped up now because they don't want markets to uh to deflate essentially they don't want to see recessions anymore so there would have been a lot more you know when when obviously lockdowns happened and and covid hit there would have been so many more companies out there actually going under. Yeah, your ghost companies. Yeah, that are your now, zombie companies. Sorry. They've almost been given a, a free lifeline um, through what you talked about um, just then. So that's a, an understanding of, of uh, I guess, uh, those two. Terms. And they want to do that because they want to keep people within their jobs. They want to see unemployment rate. Um, so they have two mandates basically. It's to keep the unemployment rate low, the participation rate high. And they also want to um, keep inflation around that two percent level. And 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 so one would argue, right, that this, and this is what Scott Galloway says. You know, you're stealing from future generations. So so for me, when I hear that, what I think is, there's there's the old versus the young. There's the rich versus the poor. There's you know there's all these kind of. Um, these kind of, I wouldn't say battles, but there's all the, there's kind of these relationships going on um, that is causing a, a lot of the world's friction at the moment. Um, and uh, it's basically coming from the decision that we would, or the mindset, in my opinion, that we would rather not deal with those things now because it's going to cause so much havoc that we'll just keep pushing or kicking the can down the road, right? So what that means is we'll just, we'll just keep, you know, well, the reason um, artificially why, propping these. Propping, the reason why they can't up. do that now is because we're, too far gone. we're in a debt spiral, yeah. essentially. We're at a point now where they can't really taper it because the only way to, to keep up with that growth and to keep up with that debt, the debt repayments, is to print more debt in order to, to facilitate that. Or you just you just let it go and then we go into hyperinflation and then the poor really become really, really poor. Um, yeah. And then that's when we have mutiny. That's when we have wars. That's when we have... And you always, you typically see this at the end of a debt cycle too. Yeah. So, so it's going, I don't want to take responsibility. Oh, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a leader, if I'm a politician, I don't want to be the one who's responsible for all of this. So instead we're just going to continue to print money, which makes it harder for the next generation. So, 
instead of leaving the world in a better place where, you know, and this is not, you know, even the people now, I think to the leaders now and I go, it's probably not even their fault. You know, it's this is probably something that needed to that something needed to happen about this about 20, 20 years ago. Well, the last time we saw it at the end of a debt cycle was during the nineteen twenties when you saw the Great Depression and you saw where that where that got people. You know, and so they're trying to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to print more money to keep people within jobs and to keep the economy ticking over. And this is the argument that the the system is the the problem. It's not politicians. It's not. It's none. None of that stuff. It's the system we exist in. No longer is serves its purpose. No longer, you know, um, uh, creates equality and and allows for equal opportunity and and the, the playing fields for everyone are so, you know, they're, they're so different to what they were twenty years ago. That you know that um, we're talking on country level. We're talking on generational level. We're talking on all these different levels. That the the the, the playing field is just. It's so far from, oh, it's the furthest it's ever been from equal, uh, and it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Although we will see, where because of what's happening now, we will see a massive sh- uh, wealth shift, mm. uh, especially once the baby boomers sort of die out. You're going to see a lot of uh, millennials and that sort of thing inherit that money. And now that we've got something like the crypto space, we're just going to see a whole lot of wealth come into it, especially when you consider that bond yields are negative at the moment and you're going to start to see a lot of that move into the crypto space because through staking and yield farming and all this sort of thing they can get a return like they were getting back in the 70s at five and ten percent returns can you just you need to <laughs> yield farming and all this kind of stuff I, people aren't we don't understand. yeah we don't want it that's a but conversation for another but, day but basically what you're saying right is when we're talking about yields we're talking about um the return that you receive on your money. Yeah. So, so you know, what, what do you get? What do you get on a on a on a high interest savings account these days? I I couldn't tell you. One point eight percent or something like something crazy. And bond yields, you're getting you're getting even less than that. Yeah. So so you know. But when you, when, when, you go to when a, M2 increases though, it tends to. Uh, What's gear, M2? M2 is the money supply, so yep, that cool. the the amount of deposits sitting within banks and that sort of thing. The more money that you have of that within the system, it tends to go towards things that are, are less risky. So that's why your bonds currently have a market cap of around $300 trillion. Um, But we're going to start to see a lot of that shift because it makes more sense to be getting a return on that money. I don't even, yeah. I don't and even we know will see is, over time that Bitcoin becomes less and less risky. I don't even know what a bond is properly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a debt instrument uh, that... Uh, banks issue Um, basically the way to sort of grow an economy is to use debt um, and in order to basically get that money initially banks will create these things called bonds uh, or other sort of derivatives and securities they'll sell it out to corporations to the public uh, and in return, they'll get that money straight away, which they can use to spend and distribute via mortgages and that sort of thing. Um, but they pay. And they pay out a return on that. Actually, I'll rephrase that. I knew what a bond was, but I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. So, I, I've, yeah, I know what a bond is, but when you explain how it works, I was like, I actually, 
I, you know of them and what they mm. do, but to the specifics, I had no idea. So the so basically, what you were saying before with yield farming and these kind of things is that the innovation that's happening in that space, you're getting, you know, this like is all some of them are giving seven, eight percent yield yeah, this compared is to the one point eight you would get if you were just yeah. sitting in a NAB account. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. So so the the incentive for innovation right now is huge, um, and you know this is what happens. This is when we, when we bring all this together, right? When the wealth gap gets that big and the inequality starts to grow to this high amount or the amount that it is, innovation is what prevails. Yeah, it, that's what innovation is. It's, it's prosperity. deflationary. Yeah. And deflationary tends to, because it's scarce, uh, it'll accumulate, it'll uh, appreciate in value over the, the long run because it has network effects, it, uh, which is called Metcalfe's Law. Yeah. And with this is still very early days, obviously. Uh, and with DeFi, like there's all the DeFi and NFTs and DAO and all this sort of stuff, which is even further beyond just Bitcoin and Ethereum, which people uh, obviously they've heard of, they don't understand, and that's okay. But we just have to understand that we're moving so far beyond just owning Bitcoin or owning Ethereum. Mm. We're actually building out a whole financial ecosystem that is so much more convenient and so much fairer um, to people around the world than the current system that we have in place uh, amongst the banks and, and governments and that sort of thing. I think it's also to, to you know, there's also going to be a lot of road bumps. Yeah, like there's also, you know, there's like... Well, I, I tend to, I see this period right now as 1995. We've got this new thing called the internet or crypto. Uh, and decentralized finance and we've got all these different protocols being built currently um, but there's going to be a day of reckoning where there's a massive crash and a lot of them are wiped out yeah. because their use cases um, haven't been proven or whatever the case may be but Bitcoin is the the internet per se then you've got things like uh, Ethereum which is more of like your Google or your Amazon which is a company that comes out of that period and takes advantage of network effects and grows exponentially because of it. Because you, you can build all these certain um, tools and systems on top of the, these networks uh, and just the way that uh, Metcalf's law works, these things will grow as uh, more and more people use yeah. them. Yeah. I, I think of it like this, right? I think of it like Bitcoin being the internet. Yeah. So the actual concept of the internet. Then I look at Ethereum as like websites. Right or, or something that you build that uh, allows you to build a company on top of it. So most, and then you've got these other altcoins that come in, which are like a, you know a lot of your startups in a sense yeah. that are coming in. And these are like you know like we just don't know enough about them. Well, so the, the best way to play that field is to to act like a VC and you throw a, a bunch of money like a net yeah. over it all, and then Hope you're going to have ones you're going to have ones that uh, work out, which are going to grow exponentially, and then you're going to have ones that go to zero. Yeah. So this is like, it's very risky to obviously throw all of your money into like a Dogecoin, which isn't proven yet. It has no real use cases at the moment. It does in a sense because you have someone who has as much power as Elon Musk, uh, who continually drives it up. But because he has uh, leverage, he can potentially uh, use it in a way that it will have use cases in the future. But it's just so early days that uh, if you're going to be playing that field just it has to be money that you can afford to lose. Awesome. Because the way that these companies grow too, you, you have to realize that 
they're going to have road bumps. Like even looking at Amazon and Facebook throughout their journey, they had periods where they crashed 50%. But then they've grown back because this thing called networks, we don't... We didn't uh, typically realize the power of these networks. Anyone with the idea of Amazon back in the day, they could be just as wealthy as Bezos right now. They just were the ones who sort of figured it out early. But no one knew about network effects back in the 90s. It's only now that we recognize it. And now that we can recognize it, you can recognize that Bitcoin and Ethereum and these sort of things have the same uh, network effect. And it's just going to grow exponentially from here. By 2024, I think uh, it's predicted we'll have a billion users. And, that, and that, that's what scares the government. A billion users of, of Bitcoin. Of Bitcoin. It's growing two times faster than the internet was back in the 90s. Yeah. Two times. So that's been, it's being adopted. So think about the internet and what it become, where we're at right now with the internet. Yeah. And Bitcoin is, is being adopted at twice the rate. Throughout those years, at an annualized rate, the internet was growing at 68%. Bitcoin and crypto is growing at 113%. Your theory is that this will help glo- like increase the wealth globally, right? Mm-hmm. But how does it differ from a share from shares where people that have more money currently can buy more of the Bitcoin? Therefore, as it increases, those people just hold their wealth, which is fine. But mm-hmm. how does that spread the... You just have to get your hands on it, though. Yeah. Because this thing will grow exponentially. So it, it's like getting into Amazon early days. Mm-hmm. It, it's not... Because, again... What you got to understand is it's not about like yes, people who hold more Bitcoin will get richer. Yeah. But the reality is because these can't be more printed, it's about they were in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the opportunity. If you get in early yeah. and you 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 add value to the network, yeah. which is network effects, you will get rewarded. The later you come in, right? And and that it, it's because. It's about the artificial, you know, we just looked at it, right? Yeah. You know, S&P 500 artificially inflated. That will never happen in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So the rich will never get richer because some person keeps making mistakes. But you've got to, so the the way to then flip it around to sort of maybe understand a little bit better is because they are printing money so much more, the power of your dollar becomes less and less. So the the amount that you can purchase with your dollar becomes less, which is why you look at things like housing and that sort of thing as being completely unaffordable now. But that's only because uh, the purchasing power of the dollar has decreased over time. With Bitcoin, that is going to mitigate that because it's a deflationary asset. And so because it's deflationary, it means that it's going to accumulate in price. It's going to appreciate in price, which holds its value better than the dollar does currently. Yeah. So instead of instead of your dollar becoming less worthy, it just continuously becomes, uh, you know, uh, more valuable. Which means that you know, if if Bitcoin appreciates at a greater rate than what housing does, housing will actually become more affordable as you invest more. Yeah. More okay. Bitcoin. I get that. But okay, then that Bitcoin has more. So the, the reason why Bitcoin is going to grow more than what property will, for example, is because it has a lot more use cases. Yeah. Will you will Bitcoin get to a point where it'll sort of taper and start to be more consistent in its price? Or yes. Okay, yes, so it will. Volatility is the next thing here, which, but that only probably. happens because it, um, because of the, the law of big numbers. Yeah. So you look at something like Amazon, it's far less uh, volatile now, but that's because it's approaching a $2 trillion market cap. Yeah. So the same thing will apply with Bitcoin and it, it has been getting less and less volatile. Yeah. Um, back in 2013, we saw drops of like 60, 70%. Now in Bitcoin, we're seeing drops of say 30, 40%. And it's your perception of volatile 
ten thousand. The, the movement exactly. of ten grand to me is probably going to mean a lot more to someone that's got a lot more wealth. Exactly. To them, but that doesn't when, make as much sense. Exactly. And yeah. but once you start to see money coming from big institutions, they don't tend to move in and out of positions as quickly because uh, to Always. big institutions, it's about um, preserving wealth as opposed to trying to, to accumulate wealth. And they've got boards and these kind of things. Decisions. So they move slower. It's not like, you know, for them to make a decision, it's probably a two-month process. Not you, Yeah, they're dealing in, like, they're, they're investing sums that are, like, yeah. billions and billions of dollars, whereas for us, we can be nimble and, like, you, you look at a price drop, you're like, oh, shit, I can sell out. Cool. They're going to hold throughout those periods. So you, you, you guys describe Bitcoin as the internet? Yes. Uh, Ethereum as a website? Well, it can be. It, as a, you know, if you're as a platform like, on yeah, the platform. It's where you build the platform. Is there it's a, still a company. Is there a piece yeah. missing then? Do you see like another coin coming or is there something that brings it all together? 100%, there'll be new protocols that come out that will potentially eclipse all of them. But the way that things work, like there's better things than Google. Like there's new, new social... Um, or search engines that are coming out now that are better. Yeah. But because big, uh, Google was the first one, it's, it has that network effect. Yeah. And it's hard to do that because network effects have this mon- um, monopolistic effect to them. So they accumulate um, more and more and more. And so once you have the throne, it's very hard to uh, relinquish those because monopolies are just that way inclined and, yeah. and, and it's, it's important to realize the way people make decisions people don't make decisions about brands they love they make decisions on brands they think are going to be the least disastrous yeah so the greater the network the more people that are in that network because that's how humans work yeah we buy things that we see other people buy mm. yeah like that's why i buy nikes over say you know, some company in that has no name that I've ever heard of before because I'm like, mm, that runner might look better. It might have, say they have better features, but I know my friends have this one yeah. and they say it's really good. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it, you think about Apple and... Apple's the greatest example yeah. of it because once they get you into the ecosystem, like once you've got a phone, once you've got a MacBook, then that's when you get... Um, a watch, that's when you start to use their iTunes or the, the music facility. That's when you start to use more and more of their services. Once you're encapsulated into that environment, you, you're basically going to stay there because does that, does that you like what they, they provide you. It, so I just want to add to that before yeah. you go to the next question. So, so that's 100% true. And think about it, right? Like um, Android phone or, or is it Google? Sense. I don't even know. So this yeah, is Android. Android, that, you know, they ha- their camera's better. They, they have better, all these better features, but people will still stick with Apple because they know what they're going to get. Sure. And Apple have already won their hearts and yeah. all their friends have Apple, you know? Like I often say this when I teach, you know, um, who's the weirdo who doesn't have an iPhone? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and no offense to anyone that doesn't have an iPhone, but like, you know, if someone doesn't have an iPhone, it's actually weird. But you know, in a sense, does does Bitcoin have that user vulnerability? So, for an example, would be Nokia used to be the Nokia used to be the beast, right? And everyone had Nokias, and then Apple came along and took that market share. No, so there's that argument applies to altcoins. Okay, because Bitcoin is the internet. It's the structure. It's the structure. Yeah, as it's the, to it's the, the foundation. It's not a product. It's the structure. It's not a product. It's the foundation. Yeah. Okay. And so everything is being built out of that. Okay. Cool. I see. Bitcoin will be like because the it's internet, like the, the actual protocol of the internet, hasn't changed since it was invented. Yeah. It's exactly the same as what it used to be. Yeah. The innovation happens on top of it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. 
And so, yes, you are going to see winners in the, the altcoin space. Can you point to, can I point to which one's going to be the winner? No, not yet. It's too early. Yeah. We're going to, we will probably see it over the next seven to 10 years. But now, like, there's been, it's anyone's there's guess. There's been cases of, yeah, influencers and YouTubers like you know pumping and dumping coins. Well, and that same thing happened back in the nineties uh, during the dot com bubble. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like pets dot com was generating absolutely no revenue, but they built it up to uh, over a billion dollar market caps. We're well, seeing the same thing now with like Nikola and and all these other companies as well. Mm. But Dark. they're Dark not one. proven yet, and when they're not proven, that the risk is just ridiculous. Like yeah. So price volatility. Yes, it is for now. This is the new form of currency and the current market capitalization is very low relative to existing fiat currencies. So this is what you were saying before, Braden, where if you actually look at the market cap of Bitcoin, it's got a similar market cap to um, Apple and or, or, you know, like a company. No, it's, it's less it's than less, that, less. Yeah. It's less than Apple, but, you know, it's got, you know, when you think about a company versus that's a currency. Why can, that's why it can be manipulated so much now. Yeah, you, mm. you look at the, you know, you look at um, the US dollar versus Apple, right? We know, well, we go, we, a lot more people are using the US dollar than what they are Apple, mm-hmm. you know? So um, that's kind of how you need to think about it and why it's so volatile. As a result, you get volatile swings. Additionally, the Bitcoin protocol has a four-year cycle based on game theory incentive structures used to execute um, fiat currency. The cycle is straightforward and it's important to understand why the volatility peaks every four years. To better understand this cycle, please read the following paper. So we see this, right? Bitcoin has, you know, it literally chops in halves every four years. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's something that if you can... Get a grasp of those cycles and why they actually happen. We may this may be the last cycle though, because now that we're getting institutional investors, they have a different way of investing in assets. They have a much more professional approach, obviously, and they're less. Especially if we start to get the big hedge funds who hold positions uh, long term, they're not going to be selling out of positions that are potentially worth ten billion, twenty billion, thirty billion. You know. Um, because that's just not the game that they play. They play hold long term. So we may not see, this comes down to the volatility argument, we're p- going to see less and less volatility as this thing continues to progress. Yeah, 100%. And I think the thing that scares people is what you said before with volatility. Like uh, Bitcoin you know, is currently at, what, $45,000 US, um, and people see a drop of 10000 and they see the drop as 10,000 yeah. instead of seeing the drop as maybe 10 to 15%. Now, you know, if you're on the stock market and anyone invests in stocks, you know, I've seen companies that I own drop by 15%. Well, it's why as well. it's why companies like Apple do stock splits or Tesla just recently did a stock split. It's because like the psychology around it, you're not going to invest in a company that's $3,000 when you can invest in a company that's only $100. Yeah. You know, and so that's why people tend to look at Ethereum perhaps in a better light to Bitcoin because Bitcoin's trading at such a high value and it will never split in price. Mm. Um, and so that's where, yeah, you have these things where you think, oh shit, it's dropped in price, I've lost so much money. 
Uh, and because of the psychology around that, we tend to want to sell when there's fear and that yeah. sort of thing when you should be doing the opposite of that. And I think people, and I looked at it like this until you speak about it, is that people look at buying Bitcoin as a sh- you buying shares, but mm. you're not, you're buying an infrastructure, you're buying, you're buying an a system, philosophy. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you speak about the your companies, your companies compared yeah. to how you speak to Bitcoin are completely different. You're like, when you talk, when I hear you talk, or I ask you questions about shares or markets, you're like this, this, this. When you talk about Bitcoin, it's different because it's a completely oh, different platform. But not even because I still look at companies that i invest in as companies yeah whereas people see them as a price on I the screen see sure sure you know you whereas i like for example uh i am invested in square for example they've got tens of thousands of employees who are working every day to drive this business forward and they're innovating and they're creating new products and they've got their own network effect going on with the cash app and their payments infrastructure i'm investing in the business itself uh, I'm not look. I don't care what the price is because that's not what is uh, relevant today. And so, uh, if we bought into a company now and you don't look at the price for a year, most of the time you're going to be surprised to see that it's actually gone up. It's the same premise with property. You don't go and have your your property valued every single day. You're not looking at the property. Uh, the price of your property every single day. But that's the issue that we have with stocks is that you can see the price every day and it is so emotionally driven that we make our decisions based on emotion rather than actual sound fundamental economics. So how much does a price of a stock determine if you invest in it? Does it have any sort of... You look at it obviously, but... Yeah, you want to be investing in something if you think that it is a good value, but it doesn't... You're better off buying in a company that you that is a little bit more expensive, but you believe to be yep. a wonderful business that's going to grow in the long term. And I had, the, uh, we were discussing And you, you often, you often get caught out because you think I'm going to wait for there to be a drop. Yeah. And, and then it drives comes. up another yeah. 20% and you say, oh shit, uh, it's too late. Yeah. And people say the same thing now about Bitcoin. Oh, it's too late. It's already up to um, $45,000. And you think, oh, I've missed the boat. I'm going to wait for the next one. Yeah. But little do they know that it's going to drive up to 200000 or whatever and it's never coming back down to this price ever again. Yeah. And, I, and we discussed this before when you look at a company. I, I remember we're talking about Square. Five or six years ago, I was at Melbourne Uni campus and I saw... You start to see I them around the place. I saw these fucking things because I was yeah. working in hospitality at the time. I was like, what are these? It's Square. Yeah. And I didn't... My mindset wasn't that that's innovation. Go mm. buy into that company. Mm. But I knew I was like, oh, this is... This is nuts. But and my so thought the, wasn't the, to go and invest but that, in it. But that know? comes down to your second and third level thinking. Yeah. You know, you need to be thinking beyond just like, oh, there's this cool thing that yeah. I've started to notice around the place. But you think the way that I sort of see things yeah. is that's a way for me to, like, I want to get in on the ground yeah. level. Once same thing with the iPhone. Like, same thing when the iPhone came out. Like, you started to see everyone started having iPhones. You're like, oh, this is cool. The way I think is you get in on that company early on and then you just, it'll profit over the long term. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so um, there are a million Bitcoins, uh, sorry, there are a million crypto coins. Why Bitcoin? First, remember Bitcoin is an open source decentralized protocol. When studying how protocols reach mass global adoption, you need to understand network effects over communication channels. Although Wikipedia isn't a protocol, it can serve as an example. Anyone could copy the open source code for Wikipedia, change the name, and then try to adopt new users and overtake Wikipedia as the global source of the internet. This doesn't happen because of network effects. 
Bitcoin has the strongest protocol network effect for pegged money. Here's an, and then they go on to talk about an article. So, um, Wikipedia is a great example. Um, well, it's, it's got a brand, you know, and you associate Wikipedia as as this thing that you can go to for wealth of knowledge. It makes no sense to build something um, now because it's already got a monopoly on that. Yeah, and that's what you were talking about before with yeah. the, the, the monopoly, no, monopoly, mystic, fuck me, monopoly. <laughs> we're not even going to go there, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's got a monopoly on the wealth of knowledge um, because it has the network effects. Yeah, um, and so you look at you look at they have an unfair advantage because they've got data and they've got the users. Yeah, and data is the the next gold. Oh, sorry. Uh, oil rush in a way because they can use that data in a way that prevents them from from being dethroned yeah and so so when we talk about network effects we're talking about as you add someone into a network it actually becomes more valuable not because facebook's the the best example of a network it's probably one of the best network effects out there because as soon as you get yourself onto that network it becomes exponentially more valuable Uh, because then you invite your friends onto the network and then you invite your friends and they bring their businesses onto it and then advertisers come onto it and it just spreads that way and now it's it reaches two billion people around the world it's not about the virality right like i think that's important it's not about the virality of the network it's about the the infrastructure within the network of how people interact and how one person adds value. The so, value, yeah. You know, Facebook is a good example. Telephones are a good example. One person who has a telephone, the network's not valuable at all because you can't call anyone. Yeah. But the more people that have telephones, the more valuable the actual network becomes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with Facebook. The more friends that you have, or and that's really what they do. You know, I know that Facebook had a... They had like a... Um, it was a retention metric. And their retention, their retention metric was that if you had 14 days, 14 friends in 10 days, you they knew that they would retain you. So then all of a sudden what they do is they build the technology to make sure that you have 14 friends in 10 days mm. and therefore that's how they retain you. And, you know, once you have other friends on, it's much harder to leave, mm-hmm. right? Um, have, so yeah. it, it's quite interesting how network effects works and that's what Bitcoin has right now it's like you know the the user rate is growing at an exponential rate and if we think of it like the internet you know we mentioned it before um bitcoin's growing at uh tw- almost twice the amount that the internet grew at back in in, in the, the 90s. 2000s and the 90s so you know we're looking at the uh, a technology that's had the greatest network effects that we've ever seen um and you know there may be something that may one day overtake it but right now nothing even looks like coming close right it really doesn't. Yeah, it's. I always remember when we're talking about sort of the markets and networks. I remember apps. If someone, if I hear a new app from three different people, it's like you know, you're it's, in. You're in. You, well, you just know it's. <laughs> no, I might personally get it, but if you hear three different people speak about an app, you're like, that's a new app. It's going. It's like how many times you see the same fucking like God of War app or like ad for an app. You never buy it, but as soon as you hear people using it, that's your instincts into to get onto it and start using it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is... You see it everywhere too. Like Fortnite's the same. Mm. Uh, Fortnite only became successful because uh, the more users that it had on the system, the more valued it became. Yeah. You know, and you, you see it everywhere. And that's the thing you, 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 about Bitcoin. And I've never thought about it until you said it, and it sounds ridiculous saying it, but you've never seen an ad for Bitcoin or anything like that because it's... But it has such a powerful brand, yeah. doesn't it? Well, no, no. It's, it's the nodes in the network that do the advertising. That's why, you know, 
that's why Bitcoin, like that's probably why we're doing this now. You know, the reality is, is that we believe in the philosophy of Bitcoin. That's why we tell you about Bitcoin. We think that it could help you. Yeah. Um, and and that's, the, that's the key thing to understand here. When you're invested in the network because you believe in its philosophy yeah. and you understand what it can do for the world, you're going to try get other people in the network. One, because it, it helps you as an individual. Two, because it helps your friends and family. Right, that's what that's what drives us to actually do the advertising for it. That's what network effects is. Yeah. Because remember that the network itself becomes more valuable when we add another person in. Right. So that's why Bitcoiners will always try to get others in because they believe in this philosophy. So people who don't understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin, therefore, aren't going to advertise Bitcoin because they don't think it can help the people around. And them. they're the ones who then also say that Bitcoin has no value, has no intrinsic value. Because they they obviously have their own beliefs around it and that sort of thing, but it's the people like us having these conversations, which is the value within the Bitcoin. And it's network. funny, right? Like you look at the conversations and how people have these conversations, and you can start to see exactly what we're talking about. Who are the people who don't want this to succeed? Well, they're probably sixty years old, invested in gold. All of their money is tied to the dollar. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so you can you can really and and you know who are the people who don't want this to change? Well, it's not the fucking poor people. Let's let's be fucking honest here. You know, the poor people aren't sitting here and saying, nah, don't go on Bitcoin. Again, it's the rich people. It's the old people. It's it's the ones who have all their money tied to the U.S. dollars or whatever like that. But it's the ones who are down the bottom end who are getting ripped off because you're starting to notice that your electricity bill's gone up or the cost of your grocery shop has gone up or whatever the case may be, they're the ones that the the printing of money actually affects. And they're the ones who see uh, inflation eat away at uh, their purchasing power. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting like that, isn't it? Because my friends, I didn't talk, my friends and I don't really talk about Bitcoin, but now I, I'm working with you guys. I bought into it. And now it's seeped into them. I sent them a screenshot before of Bitcoin and we didn't talk about it. It takes, because you hear about it, but then it takes a personal sort of engagement. So it's like a conversation and with someone in your like sort of... And the beauty of it yeah. is, right, you know, these big downfalls that the skeptics come in and say, yeah, well, we told you so. Look at it. It dropped 50% tomorrow. Yeah. And if you understand fundamentals of Bitcoin, you're going, you're rubbing your hands together and you're saying, great, this is another chance now for another big wave of people mm-hmm. to join the network. Bitcoin, people who understand fundamentals of Bitcoin aren't worried about the price. They're worried about the network. Yeah. You know, for me, when the, the, the price drop happened, I was a little bit nervous. I remember sitting in my bed next to Liv and we were going, wow. Like You were getting oh, the this, phone to me. So I'm like, what nervous. do I do here? But guess what? I then got a call 20 minutes later from my auntie and uncle saying, hey, we need your help. We want to invest in Bitcoin. Liv's dad then invested in Bitcoin and I'm going, fucking hodl. Like, hold, right? Because... The network's growing. Yeah. You know, you got people who I was sitting around a table with previously saying they would never invest in it. It's not. All of a sudden now, this is their chance to get in. And well, as long as you see that network growing, that's all that you matters. You could see that on the on-chain analytics too. So a lot of the people who were selling out when the price crashed or what caused the price to crash was a lot of whales. So people who have over 50 Bitcoin or whatever. And the people who were swallowing up those coins was your everyday retailer. Yeah. They might not have been buying 10 Bitcoin, but they might have been buying 0.1 uh, Bitcoin or whatever the case may be, whatever they could afford. But all of that supply now has been swallowed up, which is why we're now starting and, to see the sense again. And there's more people. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing is... is and this is why we talk about the, the wealth gap 
are shrinking because it's more of the retail traders who are getting in uh, on the ground floor of this thing. And once uh, the big guys with all the institutional money come on, there's hardly any supply on the network because it's a scarce asset with only 21 million in supply. Once they come on, there's no Bitcoin out there for them to swallow up. And so that's what's going to cause the price to surge. Why didn't they? Um, wh- I, I, why? They can't because it doesn't, the, the it, way that hedge funds operate, they have to have meetings. They've got oh, their I own see. rules okay, around okay. it. So they have to rewrite their rules. And these sort of processes take months or years uh, in some cases because they're not looking at putting in a million dollars. They're looking at putting in $10 billion. Yeah. And they must know though. And it's not you, their money. It's, they it's must pension it, funds. They, it's, they're sweating. Sure. Like... We can, like the, the hedge funds, the big businesses that are They're involved. sweating because all of their money is currently tied to bonds, which are negative yielding. Yeah. So, so the one thing I was going to say before as well is, you know, when do you buy more? Like, okay, so if you're, if you're someone who comes in and, and you don't have a lot of knowledge around this, what you're doing is when you see green, you want more, right? So those little bits that people gone in and said, yeah, I'm going to put a little bit in, right? As soon as they start to see a little bit of, I guess, success or a little bit of growth, they go, okay, well, I'm going to put a bit more in. That's and that starts to skin grow. It, skin in the game is the thing that you need to be, have initially so that you can start to get a feel for the, the fluctuations and the nuances of being invested in an asset where you can see the real-time value at all times. Yeah. Once you start to see it work out, that's when you start to go bigger and bigger, uh, yeah, cool. which is why I often emphasize dollar-cost averaging. So just constant, like once you get your paycheck every week or every fortnight or every month, get a little bit out of that and put in what you can afford, just like you would put money into your savings account, do the same thing with this thing and you'll watch it grow over time. And I think, the, I think people would be deterred from that because they would see how expensive Bitcoin is as a product and be like, it's so expensive, it seems irrelevant for me to put in Small amounts, which is when not you under, the right like, and, and I think this is why this conversation helps because when you understand inflation, you're like, well, I'd much rather my money being in Bitcoin, which will get me, you know, well, on average, it says, um, what is it, a hundred percent a year or something like that over the last couple of years. Oh, it's been Bitcoin's been growing at two hundred percent a year since it first came out. Yeah. So, so when you understand that, you're going, well, if I keep my money in cash, which is being diluted down at fourteen percent a year. I'd much rather use, even though Bitcoin price is going up, I know I'm going to get a return on it, yeah. right? And and that's because people don't understand inflation. They just see that... It's an inflation hedge, and that's why people often say it, it is a fledged... Uh, sorry, a hedge towards inflation. All right, so governments will never allow it. Really great kind of topic that we're going to finish on. So during the early years of protocol growth, this was a major concern. Today, the opposite is occurring. You have state governments like Wyoming already passing... Legister uh, to protect Bitcoin holders. Additionally, you have countries like Germany, Australia, South Korea, and many more already passing laws to protect ownership. Um, and they've obviously done a podcast this on We Study Billionaires as well. Um, so this is kind of what we we're saying before. Like a lot of people and a lot of the arguments at the moment is that government are going to regulate, and they will. You know, there, there will be. We know it's coming. So the best thing to do in that regard is to just sit back and let it happen, because. The thing with government, like they're still pondering whether it's a security or whether it's a commodity. And again, it's, it's already moved so far beyond that. We know that regulation is going to come because wherever there's money, there's money to be made from the government via taxation. And you start to notice that um, the regulation that they try to put in place or um, the FUD that they put out is purely to try and slow it down so that they can 
they can sort of catch up. But it's just moving so quickly that they're honestly, they're falling behind. And which is why we start to see, like here in Australia, the, uh, the Reserve Bank is uh, looking into building their own um, uh, currency or their own digital token uh, through the Ethereum network. Um, the only reason they're trying to do that is to try and get get on board and be a part of the narrative. And we'll see it, um, probably every government will incorporate this over the next four or five years. Uh, and that'll be a way for them to basically do without um, to do with our monetary policy, like so, uh, the Fed uh, will will sort of vanquish the RBA will vanquish here in Australia because they'll just be able to supply uh, the the uh, they'll be able to control the supply of the digital tokens that are produced out into the the network. But they're going to need help from a private organisation in but order about, to do that. But what about banks in the sense that if I open my NAV account? What? Yeah, so the government will probably be the ones who control the digital wallet. Yeah. So they'll partner up with a private organization, like prob- like we're seeing with Facebook, how they've got the DM uh, token. It'll be someone else um, that they'll have to partner up with, and they'll they'll um, benefit from the off off sites of of those transactions, and they'll probably control the digital wallets, and they'll control the supply of it. Um, but the, again, it's it's regulated, so it basically is the same as what is currently out there with the the general dollar at the moment. Um, uh, am I right in saying this though? In order to regulate it, they then have to, like again, like the, the only reason they would want to regulate it is because they want to adopt it, right? And they want to they want to adopt the technology from it. Which again, you can regulate it, but if you if they do regulate it, they're almost saying that we accept it. And when they say that we accept it, the network exponentially grows which is what we're seeing now in a sense we're Mm. seeing america you know creating legislation around it and now if america's creating legislation around it that means they're considering it and a year ago they weren't and i think that's the biggest thing here is that regulation will come but don't look at regulation as a negative it's Um, a positive it's actually a positive because it means that it's becoming more adopted at at a larger scale with through through um you know through governments and these kind of things so, you know, you can look at regulation and be like, oh, God, like, what does this mean for Bitcoin? But, again, it's like, can you regulate the internet? Well, you can, but you can't stop the power of it and you can't stop what people do with it. Mm-hmm. And there is a weird political discourse going on with regulation and big business now as well in other areas. I don't know how it will affect this, but sort of conservatives don't want to be... They don't believe in regulation when it comes to just re- regulating companies, but at the same time, they don't like the idea of not being losing their free speech on Twitter and stuff. So Mm. it's a weird sort of one hand, you know, what what do you really truly believe in it? Because you deregulation, but you also believe in having an open platform. So what, how... Yeah, and and that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, in in China, what we're seeing is that they can really regulate, right? They can really go hard on it. But that's that's a cultural thing, right? In America, in Australia, you can't do that. Yeah, there'll be uproar. You know, like they just can't do that. They've, and it's already past that point where, where they can come in and if they try to ban Bitcoin, it's like, man, there's a billion users. Like, what are you going to do, right? You're going to chuck them all in jail? You don't have the space for that in jail. You don't, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to find them? The wealth gap's already too big. No one's going to pay their fines. I think, like, I think you're underestimating though. I know, I see you looking at this as like they're, they're falling behind and the governments and private industries and the very wealthy are falling behind this. But I think you're, I think we're kind of, they, they will have another way or we'll, I think we'll see another sort of I don't know how to articulate this but 
they will try and manoeuvre again to try and get it on top of this. They, we the, won't the, be successful. Them but. getting on top of it is, again, their ability to tax it, yeah? Because yeah. they don't care about anything else. Yeah. Yeah? Like, what they really want out of it is to make sure that they get their slice of the pie. Yeah. Right? That's it. Yeah. So that's all they care about. So as long as they get their slice of the pie, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be successful. It just means that they'll get their slice of the pie. But the fact that it's actually a decentralized technology means that they'll only get their slice of the pie and they can never increase that slice of the pie. Yeah. Right? Because again, the more use case for, for Bitcoin there is as a decentralized technology means that as long as you're in the network, you have the utility that comes with Bitcoin, which is freedom. Mm. Right? And that's the philosophy at the core of Bitcoin. Freedom. More than anything, because as long as you're in the network, you get that utility. Yeah. And there's no way for them to shut it down either, because there's no company that they can go and say, hey, you need to shut this thing down. Yeah. You know, it's on a, it's on a nodes all around the world. So it's basically, it's on your computer, it's on your, on your phone, it's on servers. There's no way that they can shut it down unless they shut down technology altogether. But, yeah, okay. Or they shut down the internet altogether, which again, they can't do. Mm. Because it spirals them, you know, they, they want economic growth. So there's that dichotomy of wanting an economic growth but getting their slice of the pie. So that's why at some point they're going to have to be forced to adopt this thing. And exactly. then that's when ex- it grows exponentially. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know. It, and which is why you're starting to see governments put it on their balance sheet and starting to say that this is legal tender. You know, the bigger countries will be the slowest to adapt because they've got the most to lose. Exactly. And the smaller countries will be the quickest to adapt which is because ironic, they've got the most to win. Which is ironic because you think that a, a, com- a, a country like the US or Australia or Germany or whatever the case may be, they would probably be the biggest winner if they were to get on it early. But they don't want to because then it means the people in charge of the country have to become a little bit poorer, <laughs> right? Uh, they, you know, that means that the assets yeah. that has... And, and well, they lose the greatest uh, network effect of all, which is the US dollar. Exactly, and that's how they made their money. So there's fear there. Mm. Um, so you know what they say? This is a Warren Buffett quote, and it's actually going to be used against Warren. <laughs> when there is fear, be greedy. Yeah. And when there is greed, be fearful. Mm-hmm. Right, so so there's fear in those running the country at the moment. So that means if you're on the other side of the coin, get greedy. But there's a lot of change as well, and it's all coming together at the same time, which is why we're seeing so much discrepancy in in people's thoughts and that sort of thing. But what people need to realise is this: these sort of things aren't going away. Um, yeah, it's here to stay for good, and you just have to adopt it. All right, well, so ladies and gents, we really hope that that was, I guess it just gave you some insight and some clarity. Um, You know, we're not saying that you need to go and do something right now. We're just trying to provide information that allows you to make better decisions with what you do um, and and kind of provide an insight into something that is quite unknown at the moment. Um, So um, it's something that we, it's a conversation that, we wanted to have because um, you know we, we talk about this shit in the office all the time like you know Andy's asking questions as he does which is great you know it's questions good questions lead to great answers so um, we really hope you enjoyed this episode this is the investors podcast this is where Brados does his thing um, as you can see he's the expert here. he's the one who can kind of give us all the the real terminology uh, or the understanding of what the terminology actually means um, so, uh, you know, we're going to kind of continue the narrative around helping you guys build wealth um, through providing information that allows you to make better decisions. Um, so really hope you enjoyed the episode. 
Make sure you subscribe to the channel, whether you're listening on a podcast or listening on YouTube. We really appreciate it. It's the only reason we get to keep doing this. Um, So the more support that you throw behind us, the better the guests we can get on, the more power we have to go and um, equip you guys with the tools to make better decisions. So really appreciate it and we'll see you guys next week.